Okay, welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff, and that's me. I'm a paediatric oncologist, uh, so I'm the sort of the chemo guy, I guess. I'm the one that gives chemotherapy to children with cancer. And this is my podcast, which is mostly for parents of children with cancer and leukemia, but it sort of might be useful and informative for all sorts of other people as well. Now today I want to talk about this whole question of isolating children who are being treated for cancer and leukemia. Isolating them to protect them from infections and stuff. Alright, so I'll tell you how the conversation normally goes. So we've broken bad news to a family that their child has cancer or leukemia and has to go on chemotherapy uh, treatment to treat the disease. And then soon after we've had that discussion, we get talking about chemotherapy side effects and things. And in particular, we rave on and on about fevers. And we tell them if your child gets a fever, we need you to bring them to hospital straight away. We tell them at two o'clock in the morning, if the child has a fever, doesn't matter if they look pretty well otherwise, we want to know about it. We are totally paranoid about fevers. It's the biggest, most important thing they can be looking out for, fevers. Okay, they're getting the message, infection is a big issue here. Now the next thing that happens is their mind goes round and round and then they end up thinking, aha, I won't be able to send my child to school. Uh, I better not have too many friends over. I better not have the cousins over. We better not go to the shopping centre. And sooner or later they're looking at isolating the child more and more and more from everyone and they start asking about that and then all of a sudden we say, no, you don't have to do that. Kid can go to school, should be fine. Now we have parents who are very confused. On the one hand, we're telling them we've got to watch out for fevers. On the other hand, we're saying, no, but it's fine to go to school. Let's face it, we all know you go to school, you bump into kids with colds and stuff and you catch a cold and you come home and you get a fever. We all know this happens, right, all the time. So parents sort of can't quite get their heads around this. Why are we so obsessed with fever but we're still saying the kid can go to school? So that's strange. Then the next thing that happens is parents sit in the waiting room and they meet some other parents there and these parents have been told a different thing. They've been told, no, you can't send your child to school, Uh, too much risk of infection. And so it becomes a bit difficult to reconcile what on earth's going on. So today my aim is to explain all of this and see if I can make it make sense. Now the first thing I want to talk about is why are we so obsessed with infection and fever in the first place? Two main reasons. The first reason is that after giving chemotherapy, the patient ends up with an impaired immune system. So they are what we call immunosuppressed. And I'll talk about that in some detail in a second. The second thing is that most children on chemotherapy have a central line in place. You know, and I've done episodes on what central lines are. And we need central lines and they're vital. But it is true that a central line isn't a very natural and normal thing to have in place. And it does represent a way that bacteria can get from the outside world and into the bloodstream. And so a central line is a way to get an infection in the bloodstream with bacteria. And so if a child with a central line gets a fever, well, we usually want to know about it because we might need to give antibiotics to kill the infection before the child becomes sick. But back to the first bit, this immune suppression thing. Let me explain what that's about. 
the immune system in the body is made up of a whole bunch of different components. Firstly, we have all of the different white blood cells in our body. And there's white cells called lymphocytes. There's white blood cells called neutrophils. There's all sorts of different types of white blood cells. So they have a different role in how our body protects itself against infections getting into us. First off, I'll mention the neutrophils. So neutrophils are a type of white blood cell. And they're normally running around in our bloodstream and we've normally got a neutrophil count of about 2,000 to about 10,000, something like that, or 2 to 10, depending on your units. So that's where our neutrophil count normally sits. And neutrophils are really important cells in our bloodstream for fighting bacteria in particular. I'll talk about this in a minute. There's bacteria and there's viruses and then there's the rest of the germs. Well, neutrophils are really important to fighting bacteria. When we give chemotherapy, a lot of our drugs hit the bone marrow, and so the neutrophil count drops a week or two later, and it goes quite low, and then the neutrophil count recovers, and then we give chemotherapy again. And then it drops, and then it recovers. Then it drops, and then it recovers. So we have this cyclic process where this neutrophil count is low for a few days in between chemotherapies, and then it recovers. What do I mean by low? Well, it all depends on how strong the chemotherapy is. If you give really strong chemotherapy, like leukemia treatment, some of the neuroblastoma treatments, certain others, really strong chemotherapies, well, the neutrophil count can drop down close to zero. It might be that we look with a microscope at the blood slide and we just can't see any neutrophils at all and then that persists for a day or two or five but then eventually the neutrophils recover and they come back up but with less strong chemotherapy the neutrophil count might just drop to say 1,000 you know how I said it's meant to be between about two and 10,000 well it might drop to 1,000 or 700 and that's still a lowish neutrophil count, but it's not as extremely low as the other ones. So depending on the strength of the chemotherapy, that will affect how severely the neutrophil count drops. So neutrophil count, very critical to our ability to fight bacterial infections. But there are other components to the immune system that we don't talk about as much in an oncology unit. We're very often telling parents, well, what's the blood count like? We'll tell them what the haemoglobin level like, is like. We'll tell them what the platelet count's like. We'll tell them what the white cell count is and what the neutrophil count is. But there's a bunch of other components to the immune system that are a bit harder to just measure and sum them up in a number. So there's those other types of white blood cells, the lymphocytes. But then the lymphocytes can be broken down into several subtypes of lymphocytes. And they're not readily just measured routinely. Yes, we can measure them and so on, but they're not something that's routinely measured as we go through chemotherapy. And then there's chemicals in the blood called the immunoglobulins, the antibodies in our bloodstream. And they're made by a different bunch of white blood cells, and they're important to fighting infections. Now, as we give chemotherapy, and particularly as we give stronger and stronger chemotherapy, well, those components of the immune system also become impaired. 
Now, they don't tend to follow that cycle like the neutrophil count, you know, where it drops a week after chemo, stays low for a few days and then recovers. Now, the other components to the immune system, they tend to just sort of slowly drift downwards as we give more and more chemotherapy. And then eventually, when we stop giving chemotherapy, then they can slowly recover over the months after the end of the whole chemotherapy program. So the patient has a neutrophil count that's down and up, down and up, but they also have an immune system that's impaired in other ways that we can't readily measure. Now, the key point is that the severity of that immune suppression varies enormously. It depends very much on how strong is the treatment that we're giving. So the most extreme cases of immune suppression are the ones we see in patients having bone marrow transplants from another person. So that bone marrow transplant called an aloe transplant where you get the bone marrow from another person and then you're given all sorts of drugs to suppress the immune system very deliberately to make sure that you don't reject the bone marrow and to make sure that the bone marrow doesn't cause graft-versus-host disease, those people end up with very severely impaired immune systems. At the other end of the spectrum, you have patients who are on chemotherapy, but they're not on the super-strong drugs. So an example would be someone with the favourable forms of Wilms tumour, for instance. Yes, they're on chemotherapy, yes, their blood counts will drop a bit, but their immune system is in much better shape than the transplant patient. And then in between, there's patients who are on medium-strength chemotherapy and then stronger chemotherapy, and it all varies enormously as to how severely impaired is their immune system. The next thing to talk about is the different type of infections that can occur in children on chemotherapy. And the key distinction for the sake of today's discussion is between bacteria and viruses. So bacteria and viruses are just two very different types of germs. Bacteria are tiny little things. They're smaller than blood cells, for instance, but you can normally see them with a microscope on high power. You can see bacteria. Viruses are much, 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 much smaller, tiny little things. You can't see them with a microscope, for instance. You need special equipment to see viruses, you know, electron microscopes and things like that. And they cause very different sets of illnesses. So viruses cause things like colds. So when we get an upper respiratory tract infection, you know, a runny nose, sore throat, a bit of a cough, the common cold, that's usually caused by a virus. A lot of the time, if we get a bit of gastroenteritis, well, that might be caused by a virus, say rotavirus, for instance, or norovirus. Chickenpox is caused by a virus. Measles is caused by a virus. These are all the things that are caused by viruses. Bacteria tend to cause different types of infection. So someone, for instance, who gets a good-going pneumonia that they can see on the X-ray, on the chest X-ray, and it's called pneumonia, well, often that will be a bacterial infection. Patients who get meningitis, for instance, that can be viral, but it might be bacterial. The key thing is that the infections that we're mostly totally paranoid about with parents, and we're saying, call us please in the middle of the night, 
Mostly we're worried in those circumstances about bacterial infection. Bacteria getting into the bloodstream, causing a fever, and then if the bacteria just multiply and multiply, then the fever gets worse and then the patient can get sicker and sicker and dangerously, critically ill. So we have to get them onto antibiotics early on to kill the bacteria before they become rampant and cause life-threatening septicemia. That's what all the fuss is about when we talk about fevers, letting us know if there's a fever. And the reason that children on chemotherapy are at greater risk from these bacterial infections is because their neutrophil count goes low and because they have a central line. See, we have bacteria in our bodies all the time. Our intestines are full of bacteria. It's a normal thing to have bacteria in the intestines. They're actually important to the way we process vitamins and all sorts of other things. We have these bacteria in our intestine and they do an important job. We have bacteria on our skin. We have bacteria in our mouths. We have bacteria all over the place. And quite possibly every day of the week, a bacteria gets into our bloodstream and then we kill it. So we have these neutrophil white blood cells that are running around our bloodstream. And if we bite our tongue and a bacteria gets into our bloodstream through our tongue, well, our neutrophils just go and kill the bacteria. And so the bacteria don't multiply in the bloodstream and make us get septicemic and critically ill. Likewise, bacteria from the intestine, they probably get into our bloodstream from time to time. And again, we just kill them with our neutrophils, these special white blood cells that kill bacteria. The difference in the child on chemotherapy is, like I said before, they have these periods where the neutrophil count is low and it can be very, very low. So when some bacteria get into the bloodstream in this situation, the child can't just eradicate the bacteria and kill them off so the bacteria can multiply and cause septicemia. And we want to get onto antibiotics as soon as possible. We want to see the patient, check how they are, take a blood culture and give them intravenous antibiotics as soon as possible. And I'm not talking about, you know, some piddly little dose of one antibiotic or something. We're talking big gun intravenous antibiotics that'll kill every bacteria we can think of. Now, the particular antibiotics are chosen at particular institutions, depending on the type of germs that are in that institution and the pattern of bacteria in that country or state or city. But that's what it's all about with the children on chemotherapy. If they get a fever we need to jump on them with antibiotics. So it's not like, you know, the good family doctor who doesn't give antibiotics out too much. You know, we all get told all the time, you know, GP doctors, family doctors, they're giving out too many antibiotics. We have to be thoughtful and restrict the use of antibiotics. Absolutely, that's true. That's what we need to do in general practice and most of the time in paediatrics. But in the patient on chemotherapy, it's give antibiotics, ask questions later, almost. Because if the patient is neutropenic, has a low neutrophil count, they can't kill the bacteria for themselves. And if they've got a central line, well, all the more, they've got a very ready access for bacteria into the bloodstream. Okay, so just to recap where we're up to. Remember that the immune system will get impaired by the chemotherapy. Part of that is the neutrophil count going down and going up. 
and the other part is the rest of the immune system that can be impaired by the chemotherapy, but it might just be mildly impaired or it might be very severely impaired. There's a big range of immune suppression that can occur and it depends on what sort of cancer we're treating and therefore how strong our drugs are. And then the second thing is there's bacterial infections and there's viral infections. And so now let's come to this question of isolating the patient away from everyone else. And the key thing to consider here is, well, what are the infections that you catch from other people? And it turns out that most of the time when we talk about catching an infection from someone else, most of the time we're talking about viral infections, viruses. You know, you go to work, someone else has got a cold, then you catch a cold. Chicken pox, you know, a couple of kids at school have chicken pox, then another kid catches chicken pox, and another kid catches chicken pox. Viral infections, they're the ones that you're more likely to catch from other people. Now, there are bacterial infections that you can catch from other people, right? So you can catch tuberculosis from someone else who has tuberculosis. It's not very common in the developed world, but you can. Or there's meningococcal disease. You can have outbreaks of meningococcal disease within a school or any other institution. But most of the time, the things you're going to catch by going to school are viruses, So yes, we are totally paranoid about fevers and we want to get patients onto antibiotics as soon as possible because of fevers. But most of the time we're thinking about bacterial infection in this situation. And these are bacteria that mostly come from the patient's own body, from their own intestines, from their own central line, from their own mouth, from their own skin. They're not bacteria that they are going to school and catching from other people. The things they'll catch at school most of the time are viruses. Now, we can't just dismiss viruses. Viruses can be very important. For instance, if the child is on chemotherapy and they go to school and then they catch a cold, just the common cold, rhinovirus for instance, well first let me say that Probably a virus like that will not develop into anything much more serious than in any other child. Maybe they'll have a slightly worse cold, maybe not. The problem is, though, that they might get a fever with the cold. And like I just said, if they've got a fever, we have to go on antibiotics until we prove that it's not a bacterial infection. So if you get a fever from the cold, where you end up going to hospital and going on antibiotics to cover bacteria until we can prove that it really is just a virus and there are no bacteria around. So you can end up in hospital because you caught a cold, even though the cold itself wasn't going to turn out to be anything more than just the common cold. So a lot of the time, if you go to school on chemotherapy, catch a virus, it's not going to be a big problem. Now there are exceptions. There are certain viruses that we don't think of as much of a problem in childhood usually, but they can be more severe in the immune-suppressed patient. So in particular, chickenpox is one of these. You know, we're all familiar with chickenpox. It's a virus. The kids get a fever. They get these blistery spots over their body. They're miserable for a couple of days, and then they get over it. That's chickenpox, right? Well, if you have an impaired immune system, your ability to kill off the chickenpox virus isn't as good. And so chickenpox can be a more severe illness. 
In fact, in the early days of chemotherapy, we didn't have any drugs to treat chickenpox, and it could be life-threatening. There were children that died of chickenpox in the 1970s when they were on chemotherapy. Now, these days, we have a drug called acyclovir. It's an antiviral drug that can kill off the chickenpox. Nonetheless, it does require being in hospital and giving high doses of acyclovir, so it's good to avoid chickenpox. So normally if a patient's going to school, we talk to the teachers, let them know, look, we really want to know if the child has any exposure to chickenpox. And if they do have an exposure to someone who has chickenpox or who comes out in chickenpox a day or two later, then we can give the patient a shot of some antibodies to protect them against the chickenpox. We don't want them to be exposed to measles, of course. Measles isn't as common in our community these days, but that's because a lot of people are immunised for measles. So we don't tend to see as much measles. And there are certain other viruses that you don't really want to get. Influenza, for instance. Influenza virus is a more severe virus than just the usual common cold. And so we often give patients on chemotherapy immunisations against influenza. And we often have to do that every year because the influenza strain changes. So we give them a flu shot to protect them against getting influenza because it can be a more severe illness in the immune-suppressed patient. And often we encourage the whole family to have a flu shot as well just to decrease the chances of catching it. So there are some viruses that you really don't want to catch. But most of the time, in going to school and catching something, it's catching a viral infection and oftentimes not something that will end up being a particularly severe problem. Now, the next problem occurs, though, in the patients that have a very suppressed immune system. Remember I talked about the patients having bone marrow transplants, or the patients on the sort of extremely strong types of chemotherapy. These patients can have much more severe immune suppression, and in these patients a common virus infection can end up being a much bigger deal, a much bigger problem. And that's why there are patients who are told, no, you better not go to school. They're often the ones with the more severely suppressed immune system, the ones where we don't even want them to catch any virus at all because that virus can be a much more severe illness. So for a lot of patients who are on more standard types of chemotherapy. It's fine to go to school. They might catch a virus, but it probably won't end up being a very terrible thing. And the benefits of attending school are very important, of course. Now, as for me, why did I take two days off work? Well, that's because I had a viral illness. Now, apart from the fact that I felt totally blah and didn't feel like I could do any work anyway, why did I stay home with this viral illness? Well, firstly, it doesn't help if we go to work and give everyone at work the viral illness, right? And then half the doctors and half the nurses are all off sick with a virus. Well, that's not a very good idea. No one's going to thank you for that. But in addition, I'm working in a unit that's full of patients who have impaired immune systems. So the last thing we want to do is give a virus to each and every one of those, and in particular there's patients there who have very severely impaired immunity, and we really don't want to give them a virus. Needless to say, everyone complains that you took a few days off work sick because then they had to do all of your work, but then if you come to work with the virus, then they'll complain because they'll all get the virus, and 
basically there's no winning anyway. So I hope this is all making sense. Again, we are totally paranoid about fevers. We want to hear about a patient getting a fever at two in the morning. We want to hear about it even if they feel fine otherwise. We want to hear about it even if they're just walking into that concert that they've waited six months to get to and they queued up all night to buy the tickets. We want to hear about it. But we're worrying most of the time in these situations about bacterial infection, bacteria. Bacteria are the ones that need antibiotics to kill them before they make the patient critically ill. And bacterial infections mostly come from the patient's own body, get into the bloodstream, and then they can't kill the bacteria for themselves because they've got a low neutrophil count. And the presence of that central line doesn't help either because that's a a ready access for bacteria into the bloodstream. On the other hand, the things that you catch from other people are mostly viruses. And if you're only on medium sort of strength chemotherapy, then a lot of the time viruses will be perfectly manageable. Now you might end up in hospital with a fever because we don't know it's a virus yet. And so you might end up on antibiotics. But most of the time, viruses will be manageable. We particularly want to know about chickenpox, measles, of course. But most viruses will be manageable. And by the way, if there's a child in the class who's on chemotherapy for cancer or leukemia, it really should be the other parents who keep their kids at home when they're sick. I mean, that's what you should do anyway, right? If your child's got a bad cold or some viral illness, well, you probably should keep them at home anyway, and particularly chickenpox. If your kid's got chickenpox, you shouldn't be sending them to school, right? So if anyone has to miss out on school because of these viral illnesses, well, it should be the kids with the viral illnesses, not the kid on chemotherapy. Now, the best intentions in the world can't always work out well. But in a perfect world, it would be the kids that have the viral illnesses who stay home and the kid on chemotherapy still goes to school. So I hope all of this has made sense. I hope you can get your head around all of these issues now, why we can be totally preoccupied and paranoid about infection on the one hand, but still be encouraging children to go to school on the other. I hope it makes sense. Let me know if it doesn't. Leave a question at the Facebook page, get me to clarify things. Otherwise, I'll leave it there and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Understanding Childhood Cancer. Anyway, I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.